Hey there, Sports History fan. Arnie Chapman here from the Sports History Network. Now, before you jump into this episode, I wanted to share with you an exciting giveaway we have going on with Homefield Apparel. We have a digital $50 gift card to homefieldapparel.com for one lucky fan of the Sports History Network. All you got to do is head over to sportshistorynetwork.com forward slash giveaways to sign up. Again, that's sportshistorynetwork.com forward slash giveaways. This is Basketball History 101 with Rick Loiza. Welcome back to Basketball History 101, part of the Sports History Network. I am your host, Rick Loiza, and this is the podcast where we bring to life some of the forgotten stories from basketball history. We are bringing old school basketball to a new school audience. And today, we bring you a profile on Walt Clyde Frazier, arguably the coolest man who ever played in the NBA. In fact, he wrote the book on cool, and I mean that literally. He actually wrote a book back in 1974 called Rockin' Steady, A Guide to Basketball and Cool. Even his nickname, Clyde, had to do with how cool he is. During his rookie year with the Knicks, he bought a wide-brimmed hat on a road trip to Baltimore to play the Bullets, and he began to wear that hat around in New York. Most of his teammates made fun of him because nobody wore a hat like that. He almost stopped wearing it out of peer pressure, but then he decided that he did not care what others thought of him, and he kept wearing it anyway because he liked the way he looked in it, and his timing could not have been better. At the same time that he started wearing the wide-brimmed fedora, the movie Bonnie and Clyde came out about the famous couple and bank robbers Bonnie Parker and Clyde Barrow. It was one of the most successful movies of 1967. It starred Faye Dunaway as Bonnie and Warren Beatty as Clyde. In that movie, Warren Beatty wore a wide-brimmed fedora as was popular in the 1920s when the movie took place. Suddenly, wide-brimmed fedoras became popular again in the 1960s. Walt Frazier was ahead of the curve on that fashion trend. So, instead of making fun of him, his teammates started to call him Clyde, and the nickname stuck. But, let me take you to the beginning of the story. Walt Frazier was born on March 29, 1945 in Atlanta, Georgia. Back then, segregation and Jim Crow laws were still in existence. Frazier was the oldest of nine children and carried a lot of responsibility for his younger siblings. He loved playing all kinds of sports, but no matter what sport he played, he was the one with the ball in his hands almost every single time. The only court near his house was a dirt court where he had to work on his dribble while navigating rocks and pebbles, which affected the bounce of the ball. In the long run, that dirt court is probably what helped him with his incredible control that he had with the ball. Once you have practiced dribbling on a dirt court, Dribbling on a perfectly flat NBA court should be easy by comparison. He went to Howard High School, an all-black school, where he was the quarterback of the football team, the point guard of the basketball team, and the catcher on the baseball team. He was always the one controlling the game, and it made sense to let him because he was the best athlete in the school, and he knew how to lead. He did have a few scholarship offers for football, but he knew that a black quarterback was not going to go very far back in the early 1960s. So he decided to accept a basketball scholarship to Southern Illinois University, which played Division II at the time. He had a really great first two years at the university, but he was not fond of going to class or doing his schoolwork. And that came back to bite him later on. He was ruled academically ineligible during his third year at school. That means that his grades fell to the point where he could not participate on the basketball team. 
That gave him a year to bring his grades back up to the point where he could rejoin the team, and that is exactly what he did. He was eligible again for his senior year. At the same time, Southern Illinois made the jump from Division II up to Division I. Frazier shined during his final year of college basketball. He was playing at the highest division of college and he led Southern Illinois to the 1967 NIT Championship, where he was named MVP of the tournament. The Final Four of the NIT tournament is always played at Madison Square Garden. His performance in the tournament put him on the NBA radar as one of the best guards coming out of college. Also playing in Madison Square Garden was a foreshadow of his future NBA career. Up until that point, Frazier was not sure that he had what it took to make it to the NBA. After all, his scholarship was originally for a Division II school, meaning that he was not offered a scholarship to a Division I school coming out of high school. It was only by chance that the school he was already playing for moved up to Division I. Making the NBA back then was extremely difficult. The NBA only had 12 teams, and that means that the NBA only brought in around 25 to 28 rookies per year. So if a player was not considered to be one of the top 28 players coming out of college, it was virtually impossible to make the NBA. But as I mentioned, that NIT performance in New York was crucial. It was basically a tryout for the New York Knicks. So with the fifth pick in the 1967 NBA draft, the New York Knicks selected Walt Frazier from Southern Illinois University. And now it was time to move to New York and join a team that was already loaded with talent. The team had Dick Barnett, Willis Reed, Walt Bellamy, and Cassie Russell. And joining the team along with Frazier were two other rookies by the names Bill Bradley from Princeton University and Phil Jackson from the University of North Dakota. The Knicks already had so much talent and they just loaded up with a bunch more. Now this is a great place to take a break and we will be right back with the start of Walt Frazier's NBA career. This podcast is part of the Sports History Network, your headquarters for the yesteryear of your favorite sport. You can learn more at sportshistorynetwork.com. We here at the Sports History Network proudly partner with 26 podcasts, all revolving around the history of sports. But did you know that many of our hosts were sports history authors way before they started their shows? It's true. We've got Joe Ziemba, host of When Football Was Football. Joe Zagurski, host of Pro Football in the 1970s. Mark Morthier, host of Yesterday Sports. Tommy Phillips, host of Lombardi Memories. And Scott Adamson, co-host of From the 55-Yard Line. All these authors have many books for you to choose from. To check them out, go to our website at sportshistorynetwork.com slash sportshistorybooks. Pick up your copy today! Soundtrack provided by Kevin McLeod of filmmusic.io Welcome back to the show. We just covered Walt Frazier's story from childhood through the 1967 NBA draft, where he was taken by the Knicks. So let us continue with his NBA career. Being drafted to a team with so much talent gave Frazier a chance to develop without a lot of pressure. He averaged 9 points and 4 assists per game as a rookie, which is respectable. But Frazier's reputation was for being a top-notch perimeter defender. His role was to stop the other team's lead guard or sometimes small forward. Early in his rookie year, he was assigned to check the great Elgin Baylor of the Lakers. He got down into his stance and got a good snarl going on his face. He was intense and he wanted Baylor to know it. Baylor just looked at him and said, What are you doing, young blood? 
and then Baylor proceeded to score at will against Walt Frazier. So much for being a defensive specialist. Frazier felt foolish and exposed, but he got better. The first thing that he took away from his encounter with Elgin Baylor was to keep a calm demeanor and never let the other team know what was on his mind. That was when he decided to play it cool. He purposely did not want the other team to know if he was happy, upset, excited, angry, or anything. He gave nothing away with his posture or facial expression. He was just cool. Some said that Frazier was so cool that he could play an entire game while hardly breaking a sweat. For his second season, he increased his numbers to 17.5 points per game and 7.9 assists per game, and that is nearly double in both categories compared to his rookie year. In fact, Frazier increased his scoring output in each of his first five seasons, culminating with a 23 point per game average in his fifth year. And his defense got better too, as he began to learn the rhythms and patterns of each of the other guards from around the league. Remember that back then there were only 12 teams in the NBA, so every team played everyone else in the league a minimum of four times per season, and some teams as many as seven times per season. So it was not hard to learn everyone's idiosyncrasies. His third year in the league is when everything came together for the Knicks, and they made it all the way to the NBA Finals against the Lakers in 1970. The series went all the way down to a game seven, and that was the famous Willis-Reed game when Reed injured his thigh and probably should not have played, but the doctor gave him a shot in his thigh with a heavy dose of Novogaine. He made his first two shots and then was fairly ineffective after that, but that was the lift that the Knicks needed. In that game seven, Walt Frazier finished with 36 points to lead all scorers, 19 assists, and seven rebounds. It was truly one of the great game seven performances in league history. Along with the other stars in the team, he helped to deliver to New York their first NBA championship. And by the way, if you want to hear more about Willis Reed and that Game 7 back in 1970, go back and listen to Episode 80, where we do a profile on Willis Reed. Anyway, a year after that championship, they were knocked out of the playoffs by the Baltimore Bullets and Earl Monroe. But as luck would have it, the Knicks were able to then trade for Earl Monroe, who was one of the toughest players that Frazier had to defend. Well, Frazier would no longer have to worry about defending Monroe, except maybe in practice. In 1973, the Knicks were able to come through again and win their second title in team history over the LA Lakers. Frazier had established himself as one of the premier guards in the league for a full decade for the New York Knicks. However, as was the case for most players back then, as he turned 30, he began to lose a step. NBA careers were much shorter back then. Medical practices and treatments were not what they are today. Anyone who played beyond 10 years was considered to have had a long career. Today, a star player should be able to go at least 15 years at peak level performance and 19 or 20 years altogether, assuming they stay relatively healthy. So, with an aging Walt Frazier on their hands, the Knicks decided to trade him away to the Cleveland Cavaliers. Knicks fans howled. How in the world could they trade away a fan favorite and a future Hall of Famer? In all honesty, Frazier was beginning to suffer a series of injuries. In three years with the Cavaliers, he missed 180 games due to injury. As sad as it is to say, the Knicks made the right decision in retrospect. Of course, I am speaking purely from a basketball perspective. In real life, I think it's great when a team hangs on to an aging superstar just out of respect, if nothing else. And as he left the Knicks, he was the team's all-time leader in games played, minutes played, field goals made and attempted, free throws made and attempted, total points and assists. Based on those totals, it could have been said that Frazier was the greatest Nick of all time. 
Almost 45 years after he left the Knicks, Walt Frazier is still the Knicks all-time leader in assists and triple-doubles. But retiring from the game was not the end for Walt Frazier. He was able to enter into some lucrative business ventures and went into broadcasting. He is still a commentator today for Knicks games on their television broadcasts. He will probably never say it, but I am sure that it bothers him that the team has never won a championship since he was one of the players. But I also want to get into another impact that Frazier had. In addition to having two championships and a Hall of Fame playing career, Frazier made a huge impact in fashion. During his playing days, Esquire magazine named him the country's best dressed athlete, and that was something he was very proud of. He spent nearly half of his rookie salary on clothing. He was always the sharpest dresser in the league. He wore custom tailored suits with wide lapels and those wide brim fedoras. He bought a Rolls Royce with white wall tires and had it custom painted maroon and white. He called it the Clyde Mobile. Whatever he decided to wear was the latest thing to wear. He was a legitimate fashion icon. He was the Russell Westbrook of his day, except that Frazier looked cool, not ridiculous. Sometimes, I do not know what Westbrook is thinking. Anyway, Frazier's biggest contribution to fashion, in my opinion, was the Puma basketball shoe. Nearly the entire league had switched to Adidas when they came out with a leather shoe that was a huge advancement over the Converse Chuck Taylors. The founder and owner of Puma was the brother of the founder and owner of Adidas, and they hated each other. So once Adidas had captured nearly the entire NBA with its new basketball shoe, Puma decided to come out with their own version of a basketball shoe, and they signed the most fashionable player in the league to endorse them, Clyde Frazier. Every kid in New York had to have those Pumas. They were the first basketball shoe that had crossed over into a fashion statement. Puma also came out with a suede version of the shoe for retail sales, and that sent their sales into the stratosphere. Even if you look at the shoes today, they still look cool. In other words, Walt Frazier's Pumas were the Air Jordans before Air Jordan. Walt Frazier is still a fashion icon today. There is a website out there called Clyde is Fly that tracks what Frazier wears on Nick's broadcasts. And if you want to be as cool as Clyde Frazier, you only need to pick up a copy of the book I already mentioned, Rockin' Steady, A Guide to Basketball and Cool. Not only does the book have detailed explanations of how he played defense and offense, it also has an entire chapter on looking good. He goes into detail on his skincare regimen. He even has instructions with illustrations on how to catch a fly out of midair. No joke. He talks about how he maintains his closet with a full inventory of his wardrobe. The book is a really fun read. Clyde Frazier was inducted in the Hall of Fame in 1987. He was a seven-time All-Star, a two-time NBA champion, a six-time All-NBA selection, a seven-time All-Defensive selection, and he made the 75th anniversary team that the NBA released earlier this season. He is truly one of the all-time greats in both basketball and fashion. So there you have it. That is our profile on Walt Clyde Frazier. Join us next week when we go all the way back to high school to share the story of six against six basketball that girls played in the state of Iowa into the early 1990s. Playing six against six was actually a way of saving girls basketball altogether, as some people in the state wanted to eliminate girls sports altogether. That's next time on Basketball History 101, part of the Sports History Network, the headquarters of Sports Yesteryear. Go to sportshistorynetwork.com to find out more about this and other sports history podcasts. If you like what you hear, please hit that subscribe button wherever you get your podcasts. And check out our page on Facebook. 
It's called Basketball History 101 Podcast. There you will find shorter historical posts as well as comments and discussion starters on today's game. I'll also announce there when new episodes come out. I want to thank my producer and editor, Jacob Loiza. Join us each week as we continue to mine the history of basketball for more great stories from the past. Take care and see you soon. Hey there, sports history fan. This is Arnie Chapman, a.k.a. the Football History Dude, and I wanted to thank you for stopping by to listen to another episode here on the Sports History Network. Our podcasters are passionate about uncovering and sharing sports stories from yesteryear. And if you didn't know it already, we have over 30 shows across the network covering all sorts of sports history topics. In fact, here's a glimpse into one of our awesome podcasts here on the network. This is Mark Mortier, and if you're a sports history fan like me, tune in and hear me talk about some great sports moments of the past. Growing up during the 1970s, I got to watch some of the most iconic moments in sports history. Hank Aaron breaking Babe Ruth's home run record. Willis Reed limping out of the locker room in Game 7 of the NBA Finals at Madison Square Garden as the fans erupted with a thunderous ovation. The 1980 Miracle on Ice as Team USA defeated the powerful Soviet Union in the Olympics. Listen every Tuesday on Yesterday's Sports. How about that? I bet you're super hyped to go listen to that new podcast, right? Well, to learn about this show and all the other podcasts on the network, head over to sportshistorynetwork.com forward slash podcast. Again, that's sportshistorynetwork.com forward slash podcast. Head over there today to find your next favorite sports history podcast.